This is Macro Horizons, episode 214, Jay's Dilemma, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of March 20th. Tuesday is the first full day of spring and the eve of the FOMC decision. With warmer weather on the way, we'd like to assume the market has moved beyond the potential banking crisis. But we'd like to assume a lot of things in life, many of which simply are not true. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the banking sector concerns that were started in the U.S. made their ways overseas and impacted Credit Suisse. The Swiss National Bank ultimately stepped up with a liquidity facility of roughly $54 billion that Credit Suisse utilized to instill confidence in the bank's solvency. Now, the biggest question remains whether or not we've seen the end of the banking sector concerns. We did see jitters surrounding other regional banks, such as First Republic. However, at the end of the day, it appears that a group of large lenders have banded together to transfer a significant amount of deposits to First Republic in an effort to stabilize the banking system. It is notable that while the FDIC was involved with making sure that SVB depositors were made whole, the issues with First National don't seem to have progressed that far. Now, obviously, there is uncertainty regarding how long this period of stability lasts and whether or not it persists long enough for the FOMC to follow through with a 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday. As it currently stands, the market is anticipating a quarter point increase in the policy rate as evidenced by pricing in the Fed Fund's futures market, which in the wake of the positive developments associated with First Republic showed a 80 to 85% probability of a quarter point move. Now, the probabilities implied by the market don't offer a skew as to whether or not it will be a hawkish hike or a dovish hike. Given all of the events of the last two weeks, we'll err on the side of assuming that it is a cautious hike. Not that dissimilar from what the ECB delivered in the week just past. The ECB provided the well-telegraphed 50 basis point hike that brought policy rates to 3.5%. However, it eliminated forward guidance about future hikes. Now, the market has interpreted this, and will suggest correctly so, as the ECB building in a reasonable amount of flexibility over the course of the intermediate period, as the financial sector in Europe surely will receive a comparable amount of scrutiny as has been applied to the U.S. On the data front, core CPI came in higher than expected for the month of February, printing at 0.5% on a month-over-month basis, 
More troubling within the details was the unexpected increase in core services X shelter component to 0.427% on a month-over-month basis, marking the highest since September. Now this, unto itself, would have transitioned the debate in the market from a 25 to a 50 basis point rate hike on March 22nd. However, the lingering banking sector concerns have really focused the market on a potential for a quarter point move as opposed to anything more dramatic. We also did see disappointing PPI both headline and core, as well as some obvious stress in the regional manufacturing surveys, Empire State, and Philly Fed in particular. The consumption numbers were mixed, with headline retail sales matching the forecast for a decline of four-tenths of a percent, while the control group actually printed above expectations and, more importantly, the release revealed stronger consumption in January as well. So the combination of upward revisions and an above expected control group print have led to upward revisions to GDP estimates in Q1. Although, as we know is the case with all economic data, it is backward looking and the ramifications from a potential banking crisis have had a more immediate and forward looking impact on the outlook. Well, it looked like it was crisis averted to start the week, and then what actually played out was not so crisis averted. And now we have 10-year yields continuing to decline, with the uncertainty still very much in place as to the size of next week's Fed hike, after what was assumed to be a reasonable probability of 50, gave way to a reasonable probability of a pause, and now we're back to 25? I think 25 makes sense, frankly, but I will offer what is probably the most meaningful caveat, and that is not that we necessarily expect that the banking crisis has been averted in the traditional sense, but rather that the process of reviewing the stresses and strains in the financial sector has been delayed. And that means that we're more likely than not to come in on Monday with some signs of lingering uncertainty, but we're operating under the assumption that we don't have another bank failure over the weekend that clears the path for the Fed to deliver a quarter point hike, update the terminal assumption ever so slightly to 5.4% on the terminal side for 2023, And then the press conference, and frankly the statement as well, will at least give a nod to the increase in uncertainty in the financial system. Although to be fair, the FDIC stepped up, made sure that the SVB depositors were made whole. We had a comparable event, although it only involved the central bank in Switzerland, where Credit Suisse came under pressure and the Swiss National Bank stepped in and provided a liquidity facility of $54 billion. Now, all this might ostensibly suggest that the worst is over, especially as we heard of a group of large lenders putting together a significant deposit to help First Republic Bank, which was the latest of the regionals to come under pressure. Now, our optimism, almost by definition being bond market participants, errs on the lower side of the threshold. So we do still think that there is 
material pain to be realized in the financial sector. We're just cautiously optimistic that the proverbial reckoning has been delayed past the FOMC meeting. And let's not forget, we also got the latest in what's been a exciting year in terms of Fed acronyms and emergency facilities, and that was the Bank Term Funding Program. And as one might expect, we've received a plethora of questions on what this new program means for the financial sector and what this program might mean for the treasury market. While the program itself is just getting underway, what we do know is that in pondering the influence of banks being stigmatized for utilizing the Fed's backstop, that the names of the counterparties that may utilize the facility will not be released for at least two years. So that means during this tumultuous period and during this turmoil, that banks will not face the judgment of the market in terms of taking the Fed up on their offer. However, it is worth acknowledging that more in the near term, that certainly doesn't rule out executives at any potentially affected banks from being required to answer questions from investors on whether or not they ultimately needed to lean on the Fed in order to remain solvent during what's obviously been a period where deposits have been very much in flux. And from a bit of a higher level, the BTFP also reminds us of some of the COVID crisis facilities that the Fed rolled out in order to ensure market functioning persisted. The commercial paper facility, the corporate bond facility, remember all of those market support tools ultimately did not end up being utilized to a degree that actually influenced market function. Instead, what the more important impact was is that the Fed acknowledged that they would step in if required, and the logic around that insurance policy in the background that the Fed will not allow systemic failure of regional banks should also continue to help calm the current fears as we watch the situation play out. And let us not forget that beyond the U.S. market and the implications for the Fed, we also had the ECB meeting. Now, I'll be the first to concede that I was surprised that during a week in which Credit Suisse came under pressure and the Swiss National Bank needed to step up, that the ECB nonetheless delivered a 50 basis point rate hike. Going into the meeting, there was roughly 27 basis points priced in, which was fully pricing in a quarter point move. Now, our interpretation was rather than a compromised quarter point, what the market was saying is there was a 50-50 shot that the ECB would either pause or go what was effectively the well-telegraphed and promised half point move. So from a credibility perspective, the ECB over-delivered. From the side of market stability and financial sector concerns, on the other hand, it certainly brought up more questions than it did answers. I will note, however, that the ECB eliminated forward guidance, which suggests that perhaps this was the last rate hike for their cycle. Now, transferring the same prevailing logic to next week's Fed meeting, that does bode well for the quarter point hike scenario and also suggests that the inversion pressure that we've seen re-emerging in twos tens after a relatively sharp steepening could prove more durable than one might have otherwise expected given the prevailing balance of risk in the global economy. And let's not forget a big part of those risks and telling that we've made it this far in the conversation without mentioning it is still persistent and in the case of core services x shelter accelerating inflation we got the latest cpi report that came in stronger than expected on a month-over-month -month core basis and while the banking sector clearly overshadowed in terms of dictating the price action 
the data nonetheless offered a reminder that the Fed still has ample motivation to continue tightening and continuing to leave rates on hold in restrictive territory. After all, we're still a great distance away from the 2% inflation target. And remember, last week's payrolls report was nothing if not solid. Yes, we got a modest increase in the unemployment rate, but that was driven by an increase in the participation rate, which through the Fed's eyes is a quote-unquote good increase in unemployment that in turn is helping to start to put some downward pressure on wages. So while the real economy is performing in a way that will soon allow the Fed to stop hiking, there's still enough work to be done in bringing inflation down that it's too soon to seriously be having the conversation about cutting. It's interesting that you should note the potential for rate cuts in the U.S. because the market priced in 100 basis points of easing by the end of the year, starting as soon as June. Now, given the volatility in the front end of the curve, some of that has been priced out, but not dissimilar from the dynamic that was playing out ahead of the ECB, I do think that the Fed Fund's futures market was signaling a binary outcome for monetary policy that I, for one, can certainly appreciate. In effect, by pricing in 100 basis points of cuts by the end of the year, the market is giving us one of two scenarios. The first scenario is that the Fed reaches terminal let's call it 525 or 550, and is ultimately able to hold that in place throughout 2023. The flip side is that the cumulative tightening that was executed in 2022 finally reveals the severity of its impact over the course of the next couple quarters, and the Fed is compelled to cut rates by 200 basis points. So just to reiterate, I don't think that the pricing was necessarily inappropriate, but rather reflected a growing anxiety on the part of market participants that the Fed might see far more significant headwinds sooner rather than later. And along with obviously the size of the rate hike, there's been a consistent emphasis among monetary policymakers of the shape of the dot plot, not just in terms of terminal and whether we see 525 or 550, but also the shape of the dot plot beyond just the next few rate hikes. And what I mean by that is the spread between the 2023 and 2024 dots that in December widened to 100 basis points. And Ian, as you highlight, there's a nuance of interpreting the probability of market pricing. But nonetheless, in terms of how the Fed is evaluating the degree to which they're going to need to start to bring policy rates lower next year, it's going to be very telling to see if they project a removal of some of the cuts they forecasted in December, given what we've seen in terms of the inflation data, or if the gathering headwinds will mean they'll leave that 100 basis point spread unchanged or even potentially widen it in what would be an undoubtedly dovish signal. I would argue it's still probably too soon to see that play out, but definitely something in addition to the language of the statement itself that's going to be closely looked at at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. I can certainly see the other side of that argument, suggesting that there should be a wider inversion between 2023 and 2024 simply because terminal is higher this year. Recall that by cutting 100 or 125, even 150 basis points next year, assuming a departure point of 550 or 525, the Fed would still have monetary policy in restrictive territory. That is, of course, assuming that the 2.5% neutral long run dot remains the key threshold that gets us into truly restrictive policy stance. So said differently, 
the Fed could easily justify going from 550 to 450, which is that 100 basis points that was already signaled in the December SEP, and with a straight face, continue to signal that they're putting the brakes on the real economy to further anchor forward inflation expectations. So I think it warrants revisiting why a financial crisis or even regional stresses in the banking sector are so relevant to the forward outlook on inflation. Now, obviously, if we did see a full-blown financial crisis comparable to what we saw in 2008 and 2009, the potential for high-profile bank runs and bank failures would lead to a massive risk-off and, and declines in asset valuations. That much makes sense. But even in the scenario that appears to be playing out at the moment, where contagion is contained, that doesn't mean that the regional banking sector won't see its behavior change as a result. Clearly, there's going to be greater scrutiny for potential lending. There's going to be greater scrutiny of asset values and higher reserves as a theme. As banks increase their reserves, there'll be less velocity of money due to the lower willingness to lend and take risk in this current environment. So if nothing else, this will create tightening pressure on overall financial conditions, which is arguably very much in keeping with Powell's objective. Tighter financial conditions, slowing inflation, undermining the jobs market, and ultimately recalibrating the U.S. growth profile to a lower plateau would be a win from the perspective of the FOMC. The problem quickly becomes one of momentum. And by this, I simply mean that once credit underwriters, commercial bankers, and even investors start to apply greater scrutiny to potential investment opportunities, that it will become increasingly expensive to access capital, which will put downward pressure on profitability, and that ultimately leads to layoffs and a recalibration of the size of the labor force. You know, we talk a lot about financial conditions index. Maybe we should come up with a strategist conditions index. That makes a lot of sense. And the tagline could be, just checked in to see what condition my condition is in. In the week ahead, the treasury market will have one primary event of relevance on which to focus. And that is, of course, Wednesday's FOMC rate decision. As it currently stands, we're expecting that as long as the moment of calm in the banking sector manages to extend into Wednesday afternoon that the Fed will take any opportunity presented by the market to move forward with a 25 basis point rate hike, and it will be presented by Powell as a dovish hike. It goes without saying that the chair is in a position where he needs to acknowledge the recent string of banking failures while at the same time reinforcing the idea that as the bulk of monetary policy tightening seen in 2022 continues to work its way through the system, that there will be pockets of weakness and the real economy will experience some degree of pain. Now, it is notable that the conversations around a soft landing versus no landing have disappeared. And now we're back to the same conversations that we started with in January, which is soft landing or hard landing. To look at the price action in the treasury market, as 10-year yields dipped below 340, the hard landing 
scenario seems to be defining the macro narrative in the medium term. The episodes of selling pressure that we saw in the front end of the market, however, reflect investors' expectations for the Fed to continue on with rate hikes and perhaps equally as impactful for the nominal two-year sector, the expectations for a lower probability of a rate cut than was assumed as the banking strains became evident early last week. In terms of the Fed summary of economic projections, the market will be focused on the 2023 median presented in the dot plot above all else from a Fed funds perspective. Our expectations are for a modest increase to 5.4%, which would signal that the upper bound for terminal during this cycle will be 5.5%. Said differently, the Fed delivers 25 and gives itself enough flexibility for another two quarter point hikes in the event that the rumblings in the financial sector quickly subside and Powell is able to refocus on anchoring forward inflation expectations. Now, there's very little in terms of economic data. We do have durables on Friday. It's February data and somewhat instrumental in further refining expectations for Q1 growth. And of course, we have the PMIs for the manufacturing and the service sector. This will be the first look that we have at March for this series. And while it is a relatively short series in terms of history, it has been associated with pretty significant market responses in the past, especially given the importance of the service sector at this juncture. On the supply side, very little. We have a 10-year tips auction on Thursday, 15 billion that we struggle to imagine won't meet a strong reception given the stronger than anticipated core inflation numbers for February. And of course, the $12 billion 20-year auction on Tuesday. Supply also very much a backseat item to the Fed. And as the market remains on guard for further evidence that the cumulative global tightening is beginning to have more severe consequences for the U.S. economy, will be dip buyers of any backup in 10 or 30 year rates of significance with the nod to it, the event risks surrounding the Fed on Wednesday. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. As the market will undoubtedly be on high alert for headlines coming out of the banking sector, we're torn between expecting an all-clear signal or a caution klaxon. But let's face it, klaxon is our spirit alarm. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, 
visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.